Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. And again, I wish you a happy Father's Day. Actually, I'd rather be blessed for you than just happy, right? So that I have to say that I'm a pastor. I've got to be spiritual. That was a joke. Good grief. Ha, ha, yeah. Well, I used as my title today um, familiar line. There it is. Father knows best. Anybody old enough to remember sitcoms from the 50s and 60s? There he is, Robert Young, right? And uh, Jane Wyatt, who advanced in the world to become Spock's father, uh, mother. So, Spock's mother. You've you got to be up on your uh, pop culture friends. That's, uh, she's the uh, mom in all the Star Treks. I don't really want to talk about this kind of father knows best, though. I mean... There is that beautiful, I mean, in fact, I was thinking when I saw that bow tie, maybe I should upgrade a little. What do you think? No? What's that? Herringbone jacket, bow tie? Nah, I think I'll pass. But um, in those days, you know, the sitcoms Leave It to Beaver, Father Knows Best, you know, the family was idyllic. Uh, not too bad. I mean, it was better days in some ways. And I'm not a whiner, you know, like, oh, I want to go backwards. But but it was also a little too idyllic, and Dad was always right, and the solution was always good. And one of the good things that they did instruct was when you broke rules, you got into trouble, and the best policy was to be honest and do the right thing. And so some of that is absolutely the case. Well, we've been talking about a number of things uh, in terms of not breaking rules. We've been in the subject of the Ten Commandments, and I thought... I'm going to close the Ten Commandments series on Father's Day because, really, it's appropriate to address our Father who is in heaven. He's the model of it, where the concept comes from. It's not an accident, not just a result of biological uh, evolution. It's something that God, in fact, had in mind. And I could preach a lot of sermons uh, for fathers, you know, encouraging them not to exasperate their children like the Bible says and all of those good things. But... Um, Really, what we need more often than not is to see God as he really is. So I want to thank you as we've been talking for the last few weeks about the commandments going from honoring his name, the Sabbath day, and last week we touched on idolatry, some of you might remember, uh, that we've been talking about those commands that have to do with our Father and making sure that we see him appropriately. And... Um, I wanted to thank people. I forgot totally. There are some of us who sometimes you can't make it on a Sunday. And uh, I find out I'm always waiting for the podcast to get posted so I can hear what you had to say. So thank you for those who actually do that. And you want to catch up, especially on the ones having to do with God, the God-related ones. We'll review that in just a minute. Sabbath, his name, what that implies and then the issue of idolatry, which we'll sum up and close out today because we're going to look at the primary and first command relating to our Father. So I want us to look upward instead of toward 1950s sitcoms, if we will. And I thought there's so many verses that talk about God as our Father, but here's one. Let me just give you Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever Amen. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
That's kind of the theme this morning as I talk about the fact that Father knows best. It sounds kind of corny, right? But if our Heavenly Father doesn't know best, we're really in trouble. And He does, in fact, know best. So let's just do a short review if we could. And if you're a note taker, I gave you in the bulletin some steps to go through. A short review, who He is, how to please Him. It's built in when you get to that commandment about fathering and mothering, honor your father and your mother. I've mentioned this, that the commandments of God are not just arbitrarily pulled out of the air, God deciding, oh, I want them to jump over this bar. I want them to try this. They're they're not pulled out of the air. Rather, they are connected to the way we're wired, the way we ought to be functioning. Honoring my father and my mother is something that I naturally want to do as a kid. You teach children how to do what is right, and they try to please you. You can frustrate them. Oh, and by the way, yes, they do have a sin nature. Anybody ever notice your kids have a sin nature? They will do things in the opposite direction. They will. But generally, the inclination, the inner drive in boys and girls is to want to please their mom and dad. Look at at mommy. Look, daddy. Look what I did. Look what I did, right? Especially when the, in the young years where you're filling your refrigerator with so many pictures from kindergarten that the door falls off the refrigerator, you know. Those are some cartoons that I've seen. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Father knows best. He's given counsel to his people. If you, if you have been reading the daily Bible, if you keep, keep it up, I'm, I'm really far ahead. I'm not rubbing anything in. I'm just saying I'm far ahead. I'm up to the Proverbs of Solomon. You don't have to say, wow, I just do this, you know. But the Proverbs, see, my son, keep my commandments. They will be like a garland of jewels around your neck. They will keep you alive. They will give you wisdom and health and life and wealth and all of these instructions coming from father to son and daughter. It's natural for a parent to give some rules to live by. Different homes have different rules, you know. Some homes, you don't go in the refrigerator without asking. You know, you don't drive the car. Oh, never mind. There's rules. Well, Father knows best, and he's given us some rules to live by, and they're all good stuff. And that's why I started with the Lord's Prayer this morning. I wanted the Lord's Prayer recited, that we would pray it, because what is implied in our Father who art in heaven? Here it is, some rules to live by. Uh, Hallowed be your name. He's to honor, he's to be honored as the true God. Your kingdom come. There is a kingdom. It implies that there's a king, and if there's a king, then there are subjects, right? We're under his authority. Father, kingdom, king, rule, obedience, subjects. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That could be summed up by Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things you need will be provided for. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all that you need will be provided for. And as you go through the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. How can I want his will done if I don't want his will done in my life? That means I need to be one of his subjects. And by the way, Lord, since we're subjecting ourselves to you, we're following you, take care of us, feed us, give us this day our daily bread, protect us, keep us from the evil one. And it even says, when we screw up, forgive us. It doesn't say it quite like that, but that's what it says. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. So it's a role of a father to give some instruction. And by walking in obedience to that prayer, meaning that prayer, I can fulfill that following of my heavenly father. So we've been in the Ten Commandments. If you haven't read through them lately, take the time sometime. Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Either one gives you the extended version of the Ten Commandments. But just for time's sake today, let me give you the short and simple sweet one. The one that Jesus did when he was instructing his disciples and those who were questioning him all the time. Here's the summation of the Ten Commandments. How do you keep all of them? By the way, we are going to have a quiz today. You're you're all... You must have been out partying too late last night. You are really... Anyway, so we are going to have a quiz. And if you don't pass, you have to stay all afternoon and review the Ten Commandments. Here's Jesus' words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Remember that? And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the summation. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets, the whole law and the prophets. As mentioned, when we read that the first time, some of the Jewish rabbis basically said, when it comes to the 614 acts of righteousness in the laws of Moses, the mitzvot, these are the two important ones. The rest is mere commentary. That's the way they thought of it. And Jesus is affirming that view. This kind of sums up. If I'm really trying to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm not lying to myself, I'm not faking it, and I'm then, in response to that, trying to love my neighbor as myself, I will be led by the Spirit, in fact, to do the things that God is looking for, to fulfill the righteousness that's reflected in the principles of, for example, the Ten Commandments. Can I take a minute just to review? The Ten Commandments are both upward and sideward in terms of relational, right? So you've got to fill in there, upward, sideward. Let's see if we can unpack them. Everybody remember the whole list? This time I think we'll start from the beginning instead of from the bottom up. When I preached on it, I started from the bottom up. Why did I start from the bottom up? Who remembers? What's that? Yeah, coveting was the bottom command. If I can control what's going on between my ears, I'm not going to stray in all of these other areas. If I can control it here, it's not going to come out here, and it's not going to happen here or anywhere else. So let's start at the beginning. What's the first command? Yes, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. The second command, no idols. The third command, the name in vain. Those three are obviously upward focus, right? It's my honoring of God that I keep those three commandments. The next one, the Sabbath. Which way does that go? Both. Both. Up and sideways, right? Because first of all, I'm honoring God. I take that seriously. I'm going to restrain myself. I take that seriously. And it benefits, not only blesses God, but it blesses me. The Sabbath was designed for man, Jesus said. It honors him that I really believe him, but it has an effect horizontally as well. So then, the next one is number five. What is it? 
Honor your father and your mother. That's the right day for that, right? We're on, we're on task. See how right on task we are? Honor your father and your mother. Which way is that? What? Both. Thank you. It's both, right? Honor your father and your mother. There's sideways. That's obvious. It's the social order. Family being the central building block of all communities and all nations. If that falls apart, everything falls apart. So it's central, honor your father and your mother. But it's also a reflection of who? The father in heaven. My respect toward my parents is a learned response that gets me ready to put my hand in my heavenly father's hand. That's the whole point. So it is both directions. All right, now we move on. Number six. Yeah, no murdering. That's a bad thing. Number seven. No adultery. That's sexual activity outside of marriage. When we redefine that and our people, including Christians, are out of their skulls redefining what sexual boundaries are, we are destroying ourselves in the process. So I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that discussion is the discussion of this generation. You have to have that conversation with your children or whatever. You have to. Because we are falling apart at the seams. So, number six, murder. Number seven, adultery. Number eight, stealing. We all agree these are sideways commandments, right? They affect the social order. What comes after stealing? Yeah, that affects the social order too, doesn't it? That's why you have to sign prenups and contracts and all of this other stuff because my word is not what I mean. You know, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else brings judgment. So there you go, upward and sideward. And then you come to number 10. What's 10? Covening. Which way does that go? It's, not, it's a trick question, right? What did you say? It's, it is a little of both, isn't it? Yeah. Although, what I, can I, I'm going to park it. This is, this is a free sidebar. This is free, no charge. Let me get that off the screen. What you think in your head, you need to deal with between you and God. If you're having nasty thoughts towards somebody, nasty lust-wise, nasty hatred-wise, nasty I'd like to steal from you, why? whatever it is, jealousy, whatever. Do you know what? That's nobody else's business. You really need to deal with that between you and God. Sometimes we think, I've had these secret thoughts Oh, I need to come clean with the person. And all we do is devastate the person. They didn't know it. Now, if you've shown it, then you need to make it right. If you've shown it, you need to make it right. But if you haven't shown it, deal with it between you and God. Put it to death. If you can't get free, go see your reverend and pray it through. (laughs) I know sometimes we get that all wrong. When I actively sin toward my brother outwardly, that's when I need to go to my brother and get it right. Okay? So, that is primarily then the last command about coveting is primarily an upward command. I need to guard my heart. It does have an effect sideways, but it's primarily upward. So, the commandments go from God through social order and make a full circle back to God. Isn't that interesting? We're back where we started, where we should be. Back with God in charge. So, That's just a short review. I'm actually going to be done really early. Aren't you glad? Because you all have lunch plans. Here we go. 
Who is he? Father knows best who he is. Isn't that a profound idea? Father knows best who he is, which is why he has revealed himself the way he has and why he has communicated about himself in special revelation, both in the person of Jesus, who's the best picture of God we can possibly have because he's God in the flesh. Have you been with me so long, Philip, and you don't recognize me? If you know me, you know the Father. And also, the word of God has been given to us as a very precious gift that is uh, to be valued and consumed because it teaches us who he is. So here's the can't, the first command. Father knows best about who he is, which is why he speaks all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He's identifying himself as the Lord, Yahweh, he has a name. He gave him that name to Moses to tell the children of Israel he was going to be the one who always is. Yahweh is the ever-living one. But what else did it say there? Let me. I think I can make this go backwards. I'm so talented. Look at that. I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, God, Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What's interesting about this God? He's a redeeming God. He's a God who rescues have you been rescued? Amen. All four of you have been rescued. That's wonderful. The rest of you need to be rescued. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? Yikes. Okay. All right, so let me close in prayer now. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do I know that I've been redeemed? The God who always exists... The living God, the true God, the only true God is a God of redemption. People worship all kinds of God. There is no other God that redeems, that forgives, that cleanses our sin and gives us life eternal. You're not, I, know, I know people aren't, even Christians these days, professing Christians aren't convinced of what I just said. They're not convinced. Is there another way? I challenge you, seek out the other religions. I studied them before I entered into life. I studied them. There is no plan of redemption. There is no dealing with sins. There is trying harder. Try harder. Get enlightened. Climb up the astral planes. Try this, try that. He's a redeemer. You need to know him. I don't care if you were raised in church. doesn't mean you know him. Father knows best who he is. Why am I harping on this? Because last week we talked about idolatry. Anybody remember? We talked a little bit about idolatry. Romans says in the first chapter that human beings made a choice to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Anybody remember that verse? Romans chapter 1. They worship and serve the creature. It doesn't matter which one it is. That's why idols are destructive. It's exchanging truth for what? A lie. It's exchanging truth for a lie. That's why they're destructive. Whatever it is, whether it's people, things, false gods, formal false gods, or other people, or things that we worship, or our own selves, our own image, our own reputation, whatever it is that we put first and we shove God back so that we can have it our way. We cheat ourselves out of the best. 
So we talked last week about the idolatries of career and security, sexual uh, gratification, whatever it might happen to be. Even our forms of spirituality can be an idol. We can make an idol out of our little structures of how we do Jesus. Our kids. Ever notice anybody whose kids are an idol? I have. Take first place in the life. First place. And you're teaching your kids that they're first place. Let me read something now from uh, anybody ever heard of John Piper? Yeah, he's been around. He wrote a book called Desiring God. The reason God is so adamant about idolatry is because you're getting it wrong and you're cheating yourself. There's a great verse in the Old Testament that affirms what God had in mind starting even at the very beginning when he calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, when he rescues Adam and Eve in sin in Eden and says uh, there'll be enmity between the child and the enemy. From the very beginning, he had it in mind. Look at this verse. This is Old Testament. Turn to me and be saved, about 12 of you. No, no, wait a minute. I read that wrong. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and what? What? There is what? Turn and be saved, all the ends of... You may have many gods, but there is no other God who is the God of salvation. I am the God who took you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who will rescue you from the Egypt bondage of sin and bring you to glory. There is no other. That's why it matters so much that we get him right. And hence, in his book, Desiring God... John Piper talks about the beauty and glory of God and how that's in our best interest. Let me cover a little philosophical ground for just a minute, okay? Is that all right, Gene? Thank you. Okay, he's, he's looking agreeable, but I'm not totally sure. Oh, he's agreeable. Okay, he's with me. We're okay. The chief end of man, this is the, the Westminster Confession, some of you may recognize it, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper fiddles with that. He, he fiddles a little bit. Here's why. Here's what he's saying. He became a Christian hedonist. Doesn't that sound inconsistent? A Christian hedonist? Meaning that pleasure is not a bad thing as long as you're going to the right source for the right kind of pleasure. Everybody with me? All right, so here's what he says. The philosophy of life built on the following five convictions. The longing to be happy is a universal human experience, and it is good, not sinful. Where do they get this stuff? You mean having fun isn't sinful? We should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it was a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. And, and people are going, there's the catch. I knew there'd be a catch somewhere. I know where he's going. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not from God, but in God. The happiness we find in God reaches its consummation when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love. And finally, 
to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is necessary part of worship and virtue. That's why, he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. By enjoying God forever. We were called to enjoy the one who made us. Just as parents with their children want to enjoy each other, we're called to be in a happy, loving environment. Just as marriages are designed to be that way, that we long to be together, the same thing is true with this relationship with a living God who's a person and us. If God so loves us enough to make our joy full, Piper writes, he must not only give us himself, he must also win from us the praise of our hearts. Not because, listen carefully, here's where we get it wrong all the time. Not because he needs to shore up some weakness in himself or compensate for some deficiency. You all understand, God doesn't need us. I mean, the church will always tell you, we need you, we need help. God doesn't need us at all. Does he want us? Yes, thanks be to God. But because he loves us and seeks fullness of our joy, that can only be found only in knowing and praising him, the most magnificent of all beings. If he is truly for us, he must be for himself. Because there is no savior but me. There is no other God but me. So I need him. So he's doing the right thing by saying, I need to be honored for your sake. Does that make sense? God is the one being in all the universe for whom seeking his own praise is the ultimately loving act. For him, self-exaltation is the highest virtue. When he does all things for the praise of his glory, he preserves for us and offers to us the only thing in all the world that can satisfy our longings. God is for us. And the foundation of his love is that God has been, is now, and always will be for himself, which means he's for us. Let me illustrate it, because it's like some of us are like, what? If I'm a good dad, and I have a son that really wants a particular price, kind of like Ralphie wanted that BB gun in the Christmas movie, you know? He's dreaming and thinking about it and conniving all the time. He really wants that thing. And, and I, what? Yeah, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Bad choice. But anyway, so... I want this gift, my son wants this gift, or my daughter wants this gift, and we run a farm, and we have a, a stable that needs to be mucked out, and I have the rules of the house, which is we muck out stables before we have any fun. Well, in this one case, I'm expecting my son to muck out the stable. And at the back of the stable, when he finally finishes mucking, guess what he's going to find? Am I a good father? Yeah. I mean, that's a cool thing to do. That's a gift, which is exactly what it's like when God says, here's my principles for living. Muck out the stable, and guess what you'll find when you finish doing that? But we don't want to wait, and we're mad that we didn't get it soon enough, and we certainly don't want to muck out the stable, right? And I hope that wasn't a too gross illustration for you, but stables do have to get mucked out. And here's what happens. When my son finds that, not only does he think, oh, wow, my dad's rules are good, <laughs> and in this case it worked really well, and I am so pleased that I found my gift that I respond with, Dad, that was awesome, right? 
Oh, I shouldn't use that word, right? We were praying this morning. We used the word awesome too glibly, right? But that, that was so cool. What you pulled off there was just great. You are such a sneak, Dad. Wow. Don't you think God feels the same way? The climax of God's happiness, according to John Piper, is the delight he takes in the echoes of his excellence. Listen, in the praises of his people. That's why it is so right to come and worship and praise him and glorify him, to give a gift to our Father in heaven. That is the thing he, he, he delights in, the praises of his people. Your obedience, you're going to screw up once in a while. He's not looking for perfect obedience. He's looking for you to follow him. He's looking for you to try to muck out the stable. If I muck out the stable, I may miss a few spots. But I did get to the back, and I found the present. And when I go, wow, Dad, that was so cool, he takes delight in hearing that. God is other than us, but he's not totally other than us. We're made in his image. If you can relate to that, you can understand him a little bit. A little bit. Anybody say amen to that? Okay. I think I got more people this time. That was good. So, the praise of his glory. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the last thing I want to talk about. Father knows best about who he is and why we should come his way to himself. He knows best about what the rules are, mucking out the stable or anything else. He also knows best how to please him. How to please him. And here's the simplest, simplest explanation. I'm going to take a risk here. I'm afraid that many of us, especially people who've been raised in church, have grown up with it or whatever, miss what grace is really about. We miss it. We think, oh, thank God for grace. Thank God. And we think that God doesn't care what happens or what we do or what we're thinking and where we're behaving certain ways. That wouldn't be true. So here's how Jesus tried to address that. He was constantly peppered by by the Pharisees with questions, and uh, they were always trying to trip him up. And uh, they were very spiritual. They were the churchgoers of the time, and they had all the right answers. You know, they did everything precisely. They read the right version of the Bible, and they went to Sunday school. They were the ones that had the Sunday school pins. You remember those? I've mentioned those a couple of times, and some of you know what I'm talking about. They did it all right, they thought. And they were picking on Jesus. And so one day, Jesus simply says this. Well, what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, oh, I will, sir. But he didn't go. So he gave his dad smoke. And he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Then he thought about it after his dad said, well, fine. And dad walked away. No surprise at the back of the stable for you, you know. And as he's thinking about it, he gets convicted, and he goes, that, that was wrong. I better go. He doesn't see his dad yet, but he goes out, and he does it. Trick question, right? Here it comes. Here's the trick question coming. Ready? Which of the two did the will of his father? Even the Pharisees knew how to answer. Oh, the latter, of course. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax gatherers and harlots are going to get into the kingdom of God before you. Right? 
Religious people are the ones that are on thin ice. Just telling you like it is. I have had more frustrating arguments with people who profess to be Christians about what is right and wrong when the scripture is as clear as a freight train coming right into your face. Because we work the angles and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. In this case, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. Which one did the will of his father? Class. The second one. Even though he went first, then he repented, and then he did it. Here's what Jesus is saying here. This is kind of like the, um, the prodigal son story. Right, which, by the way, I highly recommend Tim Keller's Prodigal God book. We're all one of two categories. In the Prodigal God book, Tim Keller simply spells out that there are two lost sons in that story. We think there's one rebellious lost son. No, there's two lost sons. Anybody listening? Two lost sons. The young son, that tried to get me. The young son is the rebel who goes, I'm going to go do what I want. They're, the, they're obviously sinners. They go out and do naughty things. They watch movies. and they, they, they squeal their tires down the street in Montgomery. And uh, whatever. You know, they're naughty. Then there's the other son who does everything. Did anybody remember the story? I've done everything you ever wanted me to do. And I hate your freaking guts because you never gave me a party. That's the other son. He's lost. He's the elder brother. And we're all a little bit one or the other, maybe a little both. Little elder brotherish, little younger brotherish. And what Jesus is saying here is he's telling these Pharisees, you're the elder brothers and you're in big trouble because you're alienated from God and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. But the young one, the rebel, the one who does all those awful things, when he has a V8, you know what I mean? Oh, I could have had a V8. Whoa. When he has the awakening, when the spirit hits him and he repents and he becomes a Christian, he knows what he's been saved from. And that's why he goes, I'm done with that. I'm done with eating with the pigs. I'm done with wasting my father's money on prostitutes, etc. I'm done with that. He gets it. I'm going to let that just sit and simmer. Obedience, you see, brings resolution. It's how we're wired. How many times Jim Dobson used to teach this on dare to discipline and the strong-willed child, things like that. When a kid, when a, when a child is in rebellion, we're looking for boundaries. We're looking to know, I can't go any further than that. I need to know I'm protected. If I hit the wall, then I know I'm protected. So they're agitated, cranky, and whining, throwing a hissy. And once we resolve the problem, they cry, and everybody's happier. It all I heard a yes. It all gets happier, right? Aren't we exactly the same? Yes. Thank you. Exactly the same. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I apologize. God, I'm so ashamed. I, we're all happier. In fact, that's one of the cool things about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If I ever teach on revival, I don't know if I'm going to live long enough. But anyway, someday when revival happens, when the Spirit moves in on a person and illumines what's broken, why they're wrong and where they, where they need to go, 
The conviction comes. We think it's going to make us miserable. The exact opposite happens. It breaks us. We're ashamed. We weep. We repent. And the sense of joy and reception, just like dad, I just whacked you. You're crying. I bring you and I hug you and I love you. And ah, all's right with the world. I am so sorry. All was right with the world. Was that Jack? Oh, was that? I don't know. Shame on Pastor John. <laughs> well, at least I got an enthused parishioner back there. That's all right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did that, didn't I? I woke him right up. So sorry. So sorry. Oh. Arch, what's that? Yeah, that's right. That's saying, preach it, Pastor John. That's what I'm trying to say. That's, we're we're going to, I have the gift of interpretation. Thank you, Jesus. So, preach it, Pastor John. Okay, I will. So just like our father works with us, we work with our kids, you know. We learn either where the boundaries are or they're not, which teaches rebellion, or we teach them responsiveness. And when we respond, it's an act of worship and love toward our heavenly father. Interesting thing. I was uh, perusing a little bit and came across something called the Heidelberg Confession. Some of you may know what that is. It was one of the early Reformed confessions. It was the prelude to the Westminster Confession. But I just want to read this. This has to do with what we've been looking at, the Ten Commandments. What is the Ten Commandments all about? Why did God give all these rules? Just arbitrarily jump over my, you know, my bar, jump through the hoop. No, it's how we're wired. What does God's law require us of us? And they answer, it's a catechism. Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. We just read it. Love the Lord you God with all your heart, and the second is like unto it. Here's the question that comes after it. Can you keep this all perfectly? Answer, no, I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Oh, not me. Oh, you don't know yourself very well. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. There needs to be grace that turns me around from that. That's why we draw near to God. Father knows best what the rules are. Father knows best who he is. Father knows best how to please him. Stop arguing with him about what he's already told you. Really? Can I do it on my own? No, I can't, which is why Father knows best what we need to help us. Isn't that great? Look at this. And because you are sons, God, and that's guys and girls, okay? It's sons and daughters. It's children. He has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Aramaic term for father, which Jesus really grilled into his disciples. This is how you approach God. He's our father. It's a concept in the Old Testament but Jesus really popularizes it for his disciples to go to our heavenly father, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You see, Father knows best that we need his spirit to do his will. 
We need help. I already said, left to myself, can I really do this? No. But he has provided something for us so that we can. Another question in this uh, catechism, uh, the confession, let me just read this. The first question and answer reads this way. What is thy only comfort in life and death? Isn't this meddling? I mean, I have a lot of comforts in life, don't you? There's a lot of things that I find comfort in. Is it wrong? No. When they say your only comfort, the ultimate comfort, what is the ultimate? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, God overrules because I'm his children. All things must be subservient to his will in my life. I'm in the hands of a good father, and by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me, get this, sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. And all of God's people said, oh, yeah, I hope so, right? Willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Willing and ready. What would it look like if we actually took God's principles seriously and put them into practice? Ooh, what would it look like at Harmony? I'm going to close with something I have read two other times here, but I've been here four years, so you've forgotten most of it. And probably don't have, if you haven't bought this book, you wouldn't have it at hand. But I've read it before, and it was a description by John Ortberg, he stole from Neil Platinga. Everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? Great title for a book. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. And then after you know them, you find out what normal really is, right? Neil Platinga notes that the Hebrew prophets had a word for this kind of living together. The upward, Father knows best how, us, how we can be upwardly at, at peace and how we can be sidewardly at peace, right? The Hebrew word you'll recognize is shalom. A webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Try to imagine the old prophets told people then and tell us still that such a state of affairs, what it would look like. So I'm going to read this. Hope I get through it. In a world where shalom prevailed, all marriages would be healthy and all children would be safe. Those who have too much would give to those who have too little. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together on the West Bank. Their parents would build homes for one another. In offices and corporate boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment them behind their backs. Tabloids would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply, wives who give birth to their husbands' children, and men who secretly enjoy dressing as men. Boy, you guys need more coffee today. (laughs) Disagreements would be settled with grace and civility. There would still be lawyers, perhaps, but they would have really useful jobs, like delivering pizza, which would be non-fat which would be non-fat and low in cholesterol. Doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. 
School would no, no, schools would no longer need police presence or even hall monitors. Students and teachers and janitors would honor and value one another's work. At recess, every kid would get picked for a team. Churches would never split. People would be neither bored nor hurried, nor no father would ever again say, I'm too busy to a disappointed child. Our national sleep deficit would be paid off. Starbucks would still exist, but would only sell decaf. <laughs> Divorce courts and battered women's shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. Every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. No one would be lonely or afraid. People of different races would join hands. They would honor and be enriched by their differences and be united in their common humanity. And in the center of the entire community would be its magnificent architect, the most glorious resident, the God whose presence fills each person with unceasing splendor and ever-increasing delight. The writers of scripture tell us that this vision is the way things are supposed to be. This is what we would look like if we lived up to the norms God sent for human life. If our world were truly normal, one day it will be. So let's stand together. Maybe you've been telling God he's wrong for too long and you need to settle the issue today. And maybe you need to come to know him in the first place. I don't care if you were raised in this church. I've seen an awful lot of broken stuff in this assembly and other assemblies. Whatever it is, you need to know that he is the best and most necessary thing in your life. And you have to start putting him first so that everything else can fall into place. And all the agitation can get resolved. So, Father, today we pray in Jesus' name that you would move on your children. Let them experience your delight. Let them crush their idols and put you first. And not complacently assume they already have when the evidence may point otherwise. Help us to live for you and help some of that shalom dribble in to where we live, right here at Harmony. More of it, we pray. Would you put your angels around your people and protect them this day? You're a good father. We wish you a happy Father's Day and pray that our obedience and our praises would give you joy. We ask these things in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen, amen. amen. You are dismissed. The altar is open if you need to pray. Thank you.